Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and we have, uh, we have had a great year, right? Some of us Some of us, it's a continuation of uh, last year, but Christmas time often feels like an escape from our world, doesn't it? Seems like almost the last couple weeks building up to Christmas, people almost start to imagine they're in this fantasy wonderland, even though it's 80 degrees on Christmas day here. uh, We like to imagine that it's just this different reality we get to step into for a day. And... Sometimes it lives up to that expectation and it feels like we can escape. Other times it feels like everything just pressures on that day because you wanted to escape, but instead you feel every emotion you didn't want to feel. You feel it heavier and heavier. And so Christmas time can be both uh, joyful for some, sorrowful for, sorrowful for others. And I, I hope that you guys were able to have joy this Christmas because we were praying for you guys Um, we wanted y'all to have a good Christmas because it is a day to celebrate it's a day that represents Jesus being born to the world and if you haven't found out on already we don't know the exact day Jesus was born I know gasp uh, all these years you've been lied to maybe you've been thinking this whole time that it was Saint Nick's birthday Um, who knows but it is, uh, for us, it's simply a time that we look at as a representation of uh, a time to celebrate, a time that we see as a holy day that should be filled with joy uh, because it's a day that hope was born to the world, a hope of salvation, hope of peace, hope of joy. And as we go into this message today, uh, we're continuing this series about joyful. And I want us to really uh, circle around what this day is supposed to mean and uh, we're going to talk about how uh, this day exemplifies god's limitless love and for christmas i i love christmas i really do i started listening to christmas music in july by this time lauren is literally sick of it she she is so done with christmas songs she she verbally tells me that it's annoying i mean talk about uh losing the Christmas spirit too soon and uh, we I love to celebrate prematurely also Um, let me reword that to some it's arguably premature to others it's punctual and I like I think this year we set up our Christmas decorations in October Um, and some people are like wow that's early I've gone earlier than that I've gone all the way to August and this year in fact I told Lauren in July we should really just set up Christmas right now. What are we waiting for? And she refused. You know, she still had kind of some Ebenezer Scrooge going on. But I was able to break through in October because there's a secret that not a lot of people know about. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing songs for all to hear. <laughs> and so we were able to set up uh, Christmas a little bit earlier. And by the end, by the near... Uh, the closer we got to Christmas, I was like, you know what? 
I feel like we have failed. We should have set up even more lights, even more decorations. There should be all kinds of stuff all over the house. And Lauren was like, well, you know what, honey? Next year, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> and I, so I had her write it down and sign it. <laughs> but uh, the reason I love Christmas time is because it, I really see all the parts about Christmas, and I, I really do feel like uh, there's so much connection to our faith. I mean, even just the lights. You ever wonder about all the lights? Do you know that uh, when they used to just light candles, what it was supposed to represent is uh, acknowledging Jesus in heaven, sitting on the throne, looking down on us, and our lights were shining for him, that we're supposed to be the lights of the world. And that even just the tree, it's like, why do we have this tree in the middle of the living room? This is ridiculous. The tree is supposed to uh, represent um, two things. One it was first. Uh, it was first started by um, by a missionary named Saint uh, Bartholomew, I believe, who in Germany, trying to explain the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the pagan culture, he chopped down a fir tree and explained how the, because they worshipped gods that they believed were in the trees. They believed that gods, the, the the gods, lived in the trees. And so he chopped down the tree to represent how the, that those gods are no gods at all. And he also used the fir tree specifically to explain how while everything else is dead, Jesus is alive. While in winter, all the other trees are dead, the fir tree is alive. And so all of, the, all of these things are actually um, almost like little stories that have been built up over time to where we don't know what any of them mean about now today, but... They, they weren't just done by accident. They were all compiled over time. And even just a candy cane is supposed to represent, one, a shepherd's staff, Jesus being a shepherd. And the stripes are supposed to represent the whips that he took on his flesh. That he, uh, the red is supposed to actually represent his blood of being whipped for our healing. And so there's, there's so much symbolism. And even the gifts, it's supposed to represent the gift of salvation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he freely gives to us out of grace. We didn't do anything to earn those gifts. He just freely gives. And so that's why we're supposed to do the same and, and express that generosity to others. And so all of this to say that I really do love Christmas. And I, wanted, I want us to look at this message today to understand two things. The direction of today is to understand one God's limitless love for you, a personal, real, tangible love that Jesus extends to you. The other side I want us to really focus on is that God calls each of us to be witnesses of this love to others, that, that we as Christians are supposed to show this love to others. And I believe that the birth of Jesus gives such powerful imagery of what God intended when it comes to who, how, and what we should share this love with, uh, who we share this love with. And so, starting off, uh, I want to share this verse. In Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 37, it says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Principalities, that means demon, uh, demon leaders. So not even just demons, but demon leaders. Nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason I wanted to share this verse as a preface is to really get a foundational idea of the power of God's love. This verse is saying that nothing in all of the world can separate us from God's love, not even sin. A lot of times we're, we're really conditioned to believe that, that when, we're, when we're bad, we get coal for Christmas because that coal is going to get plenty of fire in the depths of hell because you're a bad boy, a bad girl. But God's love is actually so much greater than that, that his love is unconditional, that it, it, it simply means without conditions, a love that we as humans could hardly express. I love my wife more than any human being on the planet. But if she were to cheat on me, that love would be tainted. It, it is, there's conditions to our matrimony. And be that as it is, God's love, is, it goes beyond even that. It says nothing can separate us from the, the love of God. So understanding this love, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son so that we would not perish. And so let's go into this moment of Jesus's birth. Let's go into the, the nativity scene. Let's, let's learn a little bit more about Jesus. And we're going to understand first about how God's love reaches you no matter where you are. Let me be specific. No matter where you are in the world and no matter where you are in your walk in life. No matter where you are in the world, and no matter where you are in your walk in life. Jesus reaches out to people regardless of their religion, nationality, or worldview. Jesus reaches out to people regardless of their religion, nationality, or worldview. And before I go into this story, I want to make it abundantly clear that a lot of people try to disdain the, that Christianity in America would... Uh, that we're only Christians because we live in America, because it's a predominant religion. And it's just not so. Christianity was birthed in extreme paganism and grew even with extreme adversity. And, and so for even the, the way it got to, uh, to where it is predominantly in America was through complete opposition along the whole way. And there's still Christians, and that would mean that there wouldn't be a Christian in any other place in the world. There's underground churches that have to, uh, in China that literally have to hide their faith. You know, people in China, they, they each tear off those little New Testament Bibles that people throw away after they give it to their babies. There's people in China that when they get one of those, they each in the, their underground church, they tear off a page, they memorize that page, and then they eat that paper because if they're caught with it, they'll be in prison. And then when they gather for church, they simply go through and each person recites their page. It's incredible. And that is with so much persecution, with so much uh, opposition, it grows. Jesus reaches out to those, to people, regardless of their religion. It doesn't matter if they're Hindu, if they're uh, Muslim, Buddhist, uh, whatever. He reaches past regardless of religion, nationality, or worldview. So... Now, let's, let's unpack this through the, this story. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking 
Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So to fill you in some of the gaps, I'm not going to read the whole passage because we have a lot of content to go through. But these wise men, the word that's actually used for them is actually magi. Have you ever, the, the three magi. It's a root word for magician. These were pagan worship, uh, star worshiping astrologers. And the reason that they said we saw his star is because they worshiped the stars. And God revealed himself in a way that they could understand. They were literally looking at the stars in their normal form of worship, and God revealed himself at, on this huge billboard for the world. And it was, uh, and it was that what called these pagans, not, not Jewish people, they're, they're not, they weren't already Christians, talking about pagans, people that were so far from, from the, the Jewish theology, and God called them to witness the birth of the newborn king. It's a powerful thing to understand. It goes on to say, after this interview, the, uh, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so what's really powerful about this is that, one, it doesn't say it was three wise men. It's only assumed that there was three because there's three types of gifts. But there could have been multiple gifts of gold, multiple gifts of frankincense, multiple gifts of myrrh, or maybe... Uh, uh, one person with multiple gifts you're two people with multiple gifts and so the three wise men is just assumed but it's really important to understand that at this point in the story they, at first they were looking through the ways that they've always and only known through the stars but once they found Jesus they looked at the child instead of the stars they focused on the sun rather than the sky. It, and that's a very important shift that they make because at that point they were no longer looking up, they were looking to the one. And I want to really just emphasize this story because one, no matter where we are in our walk, God is reaching out to us. So, so many times we discredit our, our relationship with God because we feel like we're far away from him. We don't know where to find him. And here this story is showing, it doesn't matter if you're across the world, he will find you. And, and if you just allow yourself to, to open your eyes, you'll see him in, in ways that, uh, that are just so specific to you, in ways that you will understand. And it, it's a really powerful thing to understand that God reaches past traditional methods he reaches past traditional methods to, to explain this gift of the gospel to people. And a lot of holidays that there's some, uh, a lot of different groups of uh, Christians have chose to like disdain Christmas. It's, it's an evil holiday now because of what is believed to have pagan roots. But the, every, nearly every holiday, even like Easter, the Easter Bunny, all these things, 
the the reason that is celebrated as a Christian holiday is because the missionaries at that time had explained the gospel message in ways that they could understand. And then it was through what we only take away the like, oh, it was once a pagan holiday. It's like, no, that was what was used to explain the gospel message to a pagan people. And they, they completely switched everything they believed in to follow that. And what I'm getting at when, when it comes to us being called to be witnesses of the gospel, witnesses of the gospel message, what I have found is that Christians often have too high of a standard to reach people. We want people uh, in church before they hear the message. And that's simply not the way this story goes. God went out with the message and, and people came to the church. And if, if we are supposed to be the church to bring the, the goodness of God to other people, it requires us to, to be understanding of where people are at in different walks of life. If you've ever uh, had to uh, guide or raise or teach a teenager, it's the most frustrating experience. Because you already went through that and you know that it's wrong. You know that teenagers are just wrong. <laughs> like you, you, you don't love her. You don't love him. They're horrible for you. They're going to ruin your life. It's going to just be bad. And you, the reason you're telling them that is because you already experienced it. You already did the math equation that 2 plus 5 doesn't equal 8. And some of you are like, yes. <laughs> and so you're just saying, no, that's the wrong way of doing that equation. Do it like this. This is the right answer. They're like, I want to find out for myself. Why would you do that? I believe that teenagers are God's way of showing people what it's like to have someone created in your own image rebel against you. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I would tell parents that, and not one of them laughed. <laughs> Now that I have had a race teenager, like, you know what, that was insensitive. <laughs> but truly, think about what it was like when we were trying to find God. Think about how, how many dumb things we did. Think of how long it took us on that path. Think about how long it took you just to read the Bible. Just to con consistently go to church. Think about how long it really took you. But when we face new believers... We have this high expectation because we know once now that we're already at the end, you know, we're all still on our journey. But now that we already got it, we're like, oh, this is so much better. I, you should really just do this. I, trust me. But we don't give people that grace to to have God lead them, the Holy Spirit lead them. And we condemn them when they don't listen to us. You feel that? And. I, I really want us to grasp that in this story, God is showing such exponential grace to where he is allowing people to find him in their own way. It makes me think about, this is really a, a story of horoscopes, right? <laughs> Looking at the stars, and I, I truly, I believe that horoscopes are dumb. I, I think that uh, trusting in the, 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 the moon uh, is really just a, a new form of pagan worship. That is an old form. It's literally the, the Tower of Babel resurrected. And it's worship of the stars. And I believe it's completely misleading. We're allowing um, foolishness to, people allow foolishness to guide their lives. Be that as it may, we as Christians, uh, I, what I've seen 
is we, we want so badly for people to look to Scripture instead of, instead of the stars, which is true, that we, we often bash people and push them farther away from God in the process. Like even if some, I, there's been times where I've heard people talk in ways like, you know, I looked at my horoscope reading today and I realized that God is really telling me to go back to church. I, like, I don't know whose horoscope reading is saying that, but praise the Lord. And, and what I've seen is Christians are like, well, you shouldn't have been looking at that in the first place. Like completely neglecting that they are finding the star that led to Jesus, that God is leading them in a way. And they're just like, how dare you? How could you have been doing that this whole time, you heathen? Don't you know that's the way that pagans worship? Like, we get, we get so vehement at, at the, the process that they're going through, even though God is calling them. Even though that God is even using you in their life as a representation of that love and holiness. They're looking, even though they've gone through all their horoscopes, they still see you and see that the love of God in you to where like, why are they different than all these uh, crystal holding necklace wearing people that I know? And so let us be more graceful in reaching out to people. Uh, I, I can confidently say that I, I really try to invite people to church, talk to people at God as, as any opportunity I get. When I used to drive for Uber and Lyft, everybody and their mother. <laughs> I, I love talking to people about God. And I honestly don't feel like once did I offend someone or make someone angry with me in talking about it. Because there's a, there's a way that we're able to talk about God in a graceful way to reach others. Even when, when, uh, when it would come up, I would ask them things like, so are you into church or anything like that? Notice I didn't even say, I wouldn't even say, do you go to church? I'd say, are you into that? Is that your vibe? <laughs> I try to just get as vague as possible or anything like that. And often people are like, well, you know, I, I believe in God. Or like, no, not at all. I'm like, all right, bet. Like, okay. <laughs> and, and then when I would talk, I would just explain why I believed what I believe. And if, if they would often ask questions, and I would simply explain my beliefs. And I would say, that's what I believe because of this. And I would be completely understanding of what they believe. Like, oh, I could see how you, would, you could see that. I don't believe that, but I could see how you came to that. And... and I'm telling you, it is so much easier to talk about Jesus than our anxieties and fears have made it out to be. You do not have to be right in a conversation. You do not have to be, uh, give a debate. You simply are sharing your faith, why you believe what you believe. And it's simple. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I, I feel like I've always kind of believed that, but now as I've grown, I've learned that it's, it just seems historically accurate that Jesus rose from the dead to the point where time was literally split because it was so known that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, I believe everything he said was true. Because who has ever risen from the dead? Who has ever even thought that, believed that? But when you explain that, I'm telling you, people, people just go, huh, never thought about it like that. You know how many times I've told people about the simple resurrection and they, they tell me, I've never heard it explained like that. I'm telling you, 
we don't have to we don't have to bash people we don't have to be uh, right in an argument you simply sharing your faith because no matter where someone is we should be willing to reach them y'all feel that let's go into our next part of the story no matter who you are no matter who you are popularity means nothing to god popularity means nothing to god and to be honest this one really does hit more home for me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've always been pretty cool and popular, but just joking. But when I started going, some of you are like, definitely not. <laughs> I've seen your followers. and uh, <laughs> It's subpar. I mean, you have less than a thousand. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, when I, when I first, not being raised in church, once I first started going to church I mean I feel like I I mean this is biased because I'm talking about myself but I feel like I can have pretty good discernment like being on the streets gives you a sense of social awareness and there's moments where I remember uh, being a youth pastor and then an associate pastor saying hey I, I want you to come meet this family and that would happen from time to time and as I look back I remember thinking at the time why this family like, what kind of conversation did they have before I got here? And, and I would notice things like, why are, they, why are they giving them special access? And these other people, they've been coming longer than them. Why, why are they not given a free bottle of water or offered anything nice? And I realized, sadly enough, that the reason I was introduced because they were a rich family that had kids and they wanted them to be, get better connected to the church. And it's like, yeah, that's, that makes financial sense, yeah. <laughs> but there's so much scripture that talks about how God plays no favorites and how there's even scripture in James where he specifically talks about how if we give honor to one because of their wealth and tell someone else, you go sit over there because they're poor, that it is sin. And here... That, that, that situation I just described to you is a common thing in church. And just unwittingly, we have grown to believe that there's status and popularity that the world transfers over into our Christian world. And it simply should not be like that. Popularity means nothing to God. And look at this story. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, In the same region... There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terribly frightened. That's why I really never believe when people say, I saw an angel and we had tea together. It's like, really? Because every time someone sees angels in Scripture, they're incredibly terrified. <laughs> you just had tea with them and some laughs. And so the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly army of angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people 
with whom he is pleased. What is amazing about this story is one, this is an incredible, glorious sight to see. A multitude of heavenly beings worshiping God in front of you. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. This, it's literally the perfect word that it uses is glorious. Glorious. And, and as these angelic beings are singing, I mean, you thought some uh, Jay-Z concert was good. I mean, these are, these are multitudes of angels singing and giving glory and praise to God. What a beautiful sight. Now, to understand why this is so exponentially more meaningful is that shepherds were one of the lowest class systems. It was one of the lowest jobs you can have. I feel like in our world today, it'd be like fast food. <laughs> like, it's like what they give to unskilled, uh, uh, when you're unskilled, fresh out of high school, you go work at fast food. It's like your lowest start. The shep- these shepherds were that. And on top of that, it says that they were the night shift shepherds. That was the lowest. That was like below seniority. At least people that, people that have been there for a while can do it during the day, have a normal life. These are the night shift shepherds. Okay? The lowest class system. The most unpopular people in their society. And that is who God chose to reveal the birth of Jesus Christ to. Not the king's palaces, not the the people at the temple, no one else. But these unimportant people, seemingly unimportant people. And I want us to take a step back and think about who we have deemed unimportant and important in our world. Think about all of the people that we ignore because we think that they're not important. Even when we do act generously to say like a homeless person that's asking for money. It's almost like most of the time we're just trying to pay them off to leave us alone so that they won't look at us anymore. Here's some change. Go to the next car, please. Out of sight, out of mind. When's the last time you actually gave a homeless person money and stopped to talk to them, ask them their name? actually share the love of Jesus with them. We don't because we follow that class system without even realizing it. And I remember a moment when I was pumping gas years ago um, when I was a youth pastor and I saw this, this homeless guy kind of like walking around the gas station and I saw him go up to a couple cars and and then he kind of looked in my direction. I was like, okay, here we go. Like, get ready to... Uh, and I was like, going to invite him to church or something. And he came up to me, and I was so ready and expecting him to ask for money. And I truly didn't have any cash on me. And I was like, already ready. Like, I, I don't have any cash on me. You know, you throw your hands up. Like, look, I don't even have it in my hands. Like, <laughs> really. And I, I was so ready to... And he came up to me and says, hey, I, uh, I just wanted to give you this free Bible. And he was giving out these little, those little New Testament Bibles. And he said, I just wanted to uh, give you a Bible if you don't already have one. And I was like, I do have one. <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, okay, thank you, sir. 
I was like, wait, wait a minute. You can't just, you know, offer me a Bible and leave. <laughs> and so I started asking him about his life. And, and, and I was like, well, what are you doing? Why are you giving people out Bibles? And he just starts explaining his salvation. Well, God has just been so good to me and his love and, and the fact that he loved me. Again, a homeless man without any means for himself. And he's talking about how God has been so good to him. And I just want to share that love with others by giving them a Bible. And I said, how are you getting these Bibles? Oh, well, when people do give me money, I use it to get these. So he's taking other people's uh, handouts and using it to be more than exponentially generous himself and buying Bibles for other people. Man, are y'all getting goosebumps too? And I remember shaking his hand and, you know, just having a short conversation. And when it was time to leave, I shook his hand. And when I, I, I had to go and make a deposit at a bank for my job right after that. That's where I was going. And I, I ended up having a random conversation with the teller. And these, now I've just had an interaction with two different people, completely different places in life. One person, uh, old clothes that hasn't showered, uh, clothes that are all raggedy and, and dirty. And now I'm talking to this person that's wearing a suit, very clean, wears hair gel. You know, it's completely different. And at, at one point, I, I, shook, uh, I shook his hand. And then when I was about to leave, I saw hand sanitizer. Like, oh, I didn't want to use hand sanitizer. And in my mind, subconsciously, I, was, I wanted to, uh, I usually like to use sanitizer after shaking anyone's hand just because I'm a germaphobe. But subconsciously, I was thinking, I just shook that homeless guy's hand. I want to use hand sanitizer even more. And the Holy Spirit convicted me right at that moment and said, you shook two people's hands, and the one that you assumed was dirty was pure of heart, and you don't know how wicked or vile is the hand that you thought was so pretty. And it was just so such a, a learning experience because... We, it is so easy for us to get in this trend of declaring people popular or worthy in our minds. And God truly does not care who we are. He doesn't care who people are. And so, again, that should be a message to you. And it doesn't matter who you are in the world. It doesn't matter uh, what your childhood was like. It doesn't matter how good or bad it was. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, uh, job you, th you think you should have or want to have. God's love for you is so pure, so good that none of that matters. In the same way, when God calls us to be a witness of that love, it should be boundless. It should be limitless. And we should look at every human being as a soul that Jesus wants to save. And stop looking at people that we don't want to talk to because of how unpopular they are to the world. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And I want to, I wanna, before we go to our last point, I want to also branch out and give an additional perspective to both of these points. I believe that the Holy Spirit is really wanting the church to have a unified look at the love of God being unscrupulated, scrutinized by our flesh and by our opinions and thoughts. Because this last two years, our nation has become so divided 
to where I've seen both people, uh, I've seen both sides put, put things out saying, no Christian, uh, if you're a, a Republican, there's no way you can be a Christian. If you're a Democrat, there's no way you can be a Christian. And so many, and it's, it's hilarious because I believe that both sides politically are terrified of the exact same thing, that the other guy is going to ruin the country. <laughs> and we need to understand that the love of God does not discredit people because they have a different opinion than yours. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. They have a different opinion than you. I, I know that it goes into like, well, what, what's right and what's wrong? There has to be uh, uh, morals and a, a proper justice. Yeah, I get it. But God's love is greater than that. And, and th notice how in that first scripture it says that, uh, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And it says no, not things present nor things to come. So political future doesn't matter to God's love. In the end, I think all government is kind of evil. So... <laughs> I think that all government might be the Antichrist eventually because it is trying to make a worldly kingdom instead of a heavenly kingdom. So why divide against flesh and blood when God's love is trying to go past that? Now, let's go into our last point, which is no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, don't neglect the simple love of God for a religious show. Don't neglect the simple love of God for a religious show. This is going to jump a little ahead past Jesus' birth and the only moment that we see as him being a teenager. And even Jesus gave Mary a hard time in this moment. <laughs> it says in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days required, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. Instead, they thought that he was somewhere in the caravan and they went a day's journey and then they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. This is a moment where Jesus got lost by his parents. It's like, Mary, you had one job. Take care of Jesus until he starts his ministry on earth, okay? And this was in a moment where they were required by the law to go to Passover for their religious law. And they went through all of the requirements. I'm good. I'm good with God. I checked off my hell insurance till next year. And... And in the process of coming back, a whole day without seeing your kid. I mean, times are different, right? <laughs> but a whole day without seeing your kid. And at the end, they're like, okay, Jesus, come on out. Yeshua? That's his name in Hebrew. <laughs> and 
That is funny. It's like saying Jesus' full name. Like Tammy? Timothy? Okay. Mary Kate got it. Whatever. Tough crowd. Um, and then it says that they, went, they started backtracking, and it took them three days. Talk about worry, anxiety as a parent. All the questions, all the thoughts, all the things I should have done. All the things I wish, wish I should have done or could have done. Blah, blah, blah. And finally they found him. They found Jesus where most people find Jesus at church. And Jesus after this says, why would you look anywhere else? <laughs> you could find me here. And what is so powerful about that verse that I didn't write, uh, leave for you guys, says, why would you look anywhere else? You knew I would be in my father's house. Even if you go to a nasty, bad church, you can still hear a message of God. It's so, it's so crazy to me how the Holy Spirit will go beyond the preacher, beyond the, the man, the person, and speak to somebody. To where, if you've ever had that experience where like, you don't even like the church you, you tried out, but God still spoke to you. It, it shows how powerful the Holy Spirit is to truly, you can find Jesus at the temple. But beyond that, what I want us to focus on is that we often get lost in that religious show. The things that we feel like we're required to do. And we lose sight of Jesus. Even with all of the holidays. Think about Christmas and very rarely do people sit down and go, you know what, let's just stop and just consider God is so good. This is supposed to be Jesus' representation of being born to, to mankind as a savior to the world. Let's just take a moment and pray and worship God right now. No, it's like, give me the presents right now. I want some of that ham. I can't believe Aunt Karen said that. You know, we get, we get so lost in all of the other things to where we neglect the simplicity of Jesus. The simplicity of God's love seen in him. And honestly, we miss out on the goodness of God when we try to chase the religious requirements. When we try to chase the religious show. I believe that every Christian should practice a type of self-discipline when it comes to their faith. Like self-control, reframing from things that are not healthy for you and pursuing things that are good for you, especially for your faith. I think Christians should, I think really every Christian that is able, I think they should, every Christian should read the Bible at least once a year. I, I think that should be an ongoing thing. But with all of that, I, if we were to chase these things as feeling like, oh, well, I met my requirement, and not and neglect the simple relationship with Jesus Christ, we would lose. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, if, if, I, if I had it all but had not love, I would have nothing. And we often chase intelligence. We chase these works and forget about the simple love of God. I don't know how many knowledgeable Christians I've met that treat people like crap. They've pursued the intelligence. That's great. But to have that without love, you'd have nothing. Paul says, knowledge may make us feel important, but love is what uh, covers a multitude of sins. 
Love is the key that we often neglect. Even when it comes to, when we talk about topics of love at church, it, I'm, it, it's so funny how people are like, oh, yeah, let's move on to something else. I got love down. <laughs> let's go on to deeper truths. Let's talk about like expounding on the holiness of the Trinity. You know, something deeper, more seemingly more meaningful. I don't know about you, but love is the hardest thing that I've ever attempted in my life. You talk about love your enemies, I can barely love some in-laws, you know? Like, it's, that's tough. <laughs> Loving people is incredibly difficult, and Jesus says to love those who hate you. We can't even love those who have this uh, different political idea than us. Love covers. Love is something to pursue. Love is gritty. It's an action. It's a choice. And to understand God's limitless love for us, think about everything wrong you've done, and yet God loves you. That's the part that blows my mind. I mean, I've done a lot of wrong before Christ and after Christ, filled with regrets. To think that God's love still abides in my heart, that the Holy Spirit does, doesn't detach from me like I'm a parasite, it, it clings to me, even when I neglect, even when I'm in the wrong, it clings to me and holds, holds me and embraces me. It is an example of how we ought to love others. And we, we are called to love others. We are called to share the, the, the gospel message with those who, all around the world. And truly, people just don't want to hear it if they don't even know you care about them. People don't care about what you know until they know about how much you care. And that's why that love just gives entry away. And I, I, I really, I, I'm urging us to enter into this new year with an evangelistic spirit. And I want to be abundantly clear that I'm not trying to, this is not some kind of manipulated attempt to grow the church. Like, let's get, we need to invite people to church today. I, I'm, I'm serious. They come to this church, they will feel loved, and they'll feel uh, the power of God in their lives. It'll be great. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about really ex just expounding the love of God to people, whether or not they come to this church ever. Truly being a witness to others. I, I've witnessed to, to, and I'm not being, uh, I'm not trying to be um, puffed up. I'm trying to give an explanation I witnessed literally thousands of people since starting this church. I would go to schools. I would go to the, the ju juvenile detention centers. I'd go anywhere I can. I'm going right now. I go to re uh, rehab centers after this service tonight. Instead of resting, I'm going to go to rehab center to people that will probably never come to this church. Out of all those people, hardly any of talk about less than 1% of those people have ever come into church. You guys are the one percenters. Okay. But why, why? Do I do that? Why should we do that? Because the love of God and the gospel message is a seed that may be the smallest seed in their life, but one day may grow into a mustard tree. May one day just grow into the biggest tree that in their life. And so we ought to plant those seeds of the gospel message in others. Whether or not they ever come to our church, whether or not we'll ever see them again, we need to know that God's love in God's word does not return void. And so we should, in the same way God's love is limitless to us, 
we should be boundless in sharing that message with others. With that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're listening today, and maybe throughout this message, you realize this idea about God's limitless love, and you realize how personal it is for you today for the very first time. You've only known the religious show, and you haven't really experienced the true love and power of God for yourself. Not for your family, for yourself. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you want to do that today. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to lift your hand. Amen. If that is you, and you're listening to this, you're here, whatever, the Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What that's saying is if you're authentic and genuine about wanting to experience this relationship, you're not just trying to find hell insurance, just being genuine and wanting to know your creator. And you talk to him. It says acknowledge who he is. Just talk to him and acknowledge this this thing that Jesus did for you and for the world, dying on the cross and raising from the dead, being the son of God. All that is is having an authentic prayer. That's all it takes to start this journey. That's what it takes to start it. Have that conversation yourself. You don't need me to lead you through it. It doesn't need to be a pretty prayer or a special prayer. You just have that conversation. And I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit can do so much more work in you than a thousand sermons you listen to. If you experience that personal relationship with him, he'll do greater. And if you're here and you feel like God is just speaking to you about being a witness, about sharing this gospel message in your life more, and you realize that today and you just want to show the love of God to others, boundlessly like he has shown it to you with every head still bowed and eye closed I want you to raise your hand amen God I pray that you just empower these people I pray that you cause them to experience your true presence and that you would take away those fears those doubts and those anxieties and the moments where you call them to speak and just give them the right words to say Help them and lead them because they simply want to share your love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. With that being said, we're going to enter into a time of worship. But before we do, we're going to log off online. Thank you guys for being a part. We love you so much. Have a good life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.